Hello and welcome to the next episode of our York Ending Stigma Let's Talk Mental Health podcast. Um, here at York Ending Stigma, we are all people with our own personal experiences of poor mental health, mental ill health, however we want to phrase it for ourselves. And today we're going to be talking about mental health and employment, and particularly mental health stigma in the workplace. This topic is massive. Um, so this is one of a series of podcast episodes that we've got on the subject of mental health and employment. So we do recommend you have a look at the rest of our podcast series to find out what specific topics we discuss. Um, so for this one, we will be talking about feeling safe, masking and trust when it comes to our mental health in the workplace. Today, I'm joined by three of our fantastic volunteer York and Instigma champions. I'm here with Hazel. Hi. With Emma. Hi. And Lauren. Hello. And my name is also Emma, so slightly confusing maybe for today's <laughs> podcast. And um, yeah, so I think to start us off, I think what will be really helpful is just for each of us to say a little bit about our experience of employment and living with, with poor mental health. And um, so I suppose to start off for myself, I've pretty much always worked had a paper round when I was 13 and then when I was 16 you kind of move on to the better pay of actually working in the supermarket and better hours um, and then I, I went to university, graduated, got some graduate jobs in global kind of corporate engineering firms and then changed career path and have worked in um, higher education and also worked in the voluntary sector which is what I do now um, here at York Indian Stigma as the project coordinator. I've always struggled with my mental health I've had poor mental health since primary school age and it affects all aspects of my life, which includes work. Um, so although I've always worked and pretty much all the time I've worked full time, I did have a, a stint of about a year or so doing a part time job. But for the rest of it, it's been full time. But boy, has it been difficult. Um, I've had varied experiences, which we'll come on to with not so good employers and currently a really good employer. Yeah, and my mental health really impacts my ability to work. But also what I find for me is I concentrate all my energy on being as well as possible at work and actually having no personal life or really, really struggling outside of work. So I'm the kind of person that will put on that persona. So in terms of today's episode of masking, oh, I'm an expert at that. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's me um, in summary. Um, Hazel, how about you? Oh, I was hoping you weren't going to be yours first. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of a way to put this succinctly. Um, so I grew up on in a farming family which basically meant from a very young age, I was driving tractors, sorting potatoes and doing all that sort of stuff, which I suppose you could probably class as a job, even though I was way too young to legally have a job. <laughs> um, I didn't first start getting ill mentally, sort of wise, until I was in my teens. And I didn't get properly ill until I was about 19. Um, when I got properly ill, I was at university and I was training to become a doctor. That fell apart very fast because it's really hard to train to be a doctor while having psychotic episodes. <laughs> um, so I ended up falling yeah, that well away and then I became a teacher for a bit. Um, I went for all the teacher training and started teaching post-16. That also didn't last very long. And then I trained as a joiner. <laughs> and sometimes, somehow that lasted quite a while, but with lots and lots of little jobs. In, not, not, none of the jobs were very long, but the career lasted a while. And then that fell by the wayside as well a couple of years ago. <laughs> Uh, as it stands right now, I've not worked for two years because of my mental health. And even before that, maybe few, few jobs lasted more than a few months. I would have a job for a while, get ill, have to be off for a bit, then get forced to get another job because money, 
and then it just happened over and over again. Let's say I was trying to make that succinct and it really failed. <laughs> no, you haven't, Hazel. And that's really interesting. And maybe something we'll come back to, something I didn't mention, the longest I've ever had a job for is four years. Um, and I'm 41 years old now. Um, like I say, I've had a paper round since I was 13. Oh, I can, there's lots of nodding and so sniggering around the room. 14 months <laughs> is my longest and that was my apprenticeship. <laughs> so I think, you know, we'll definitely come back to that. But before we do, Emma, how about you? What's your experience of being in work and um, living with poor mental health? Um, yeah, so I struggled since I was like a child, probably at primary school really, with my mental health. Um, and then I tried going to college when I was 16. There was a lot of upheaval in my life. Um, my parents moved to a different continent, so I had to move out of home. And I was trying to juggle everything, um, left college because of my mental health and then ended up getting a full-time job. Um, that went on for so long. Um, and then I th- I'd sort of, when I first get the job, I keep going and going and going and going. And then event- because I'm masking everything, and then it becomes difficult. Um, and then I think I got another job um, in the same area, which was retail. Um, but because... I have social anxiety, being on tills for eight hours a day was, it was awful. It was like a living nightmare for me. Um, I just felt so awkward and the um, the store manager didn't like me for some reason, I think because I was quite quiet and very shy. So, and I didn't know what to say to people. So I think he took that as me being aloof maybe. Oh, okay. um, so straight away, he didn't like me. There was no chance of promotion anywhere. Um, in my one-to-ones, my reviews, it was always... My, I got on well with um, my manager and he'd say to me, I want to give you like... Um, I can't remember. My mind's gone blank today. Um, oh, what's the standard that they use? Um, oh, like your target? Yeah, there's like adequate, there's poor. Oh, so yeah. he's like, I want to give you adequate or you're doing really well. But because the store manager's overriding me, I have to give you poor. And um, so it was really disheartening. And eventually I ended up um, going off sick. And I remember another time when um, the beauty manager sort of said to me, you need to leave your problems at the door, meaning like my mental health. Oh, God. Um, and in hindsight, that was really the wrong way to go about it um but yeah I ended up going off sick um and then I went into admin which was better suited for me but because of my anxiety all the time and worrying and masking and hypervigilance I make little mistakes um and then managers pick up on that and then they'll bring it to me and yeah um so most jobs ended up going off sick. I did work in an open plan office, which was um, most of the people were quite young and it was mainly females. So it was quite sort of, there was a lot of gossip and things like that. And again, I was sat smack bang in the middle of the office, um, very hypervigilant, jumpy, couldn't focus because I was so anxious and just, I didn't feel safe. Um, so I ended up leaving that job. Um, and the longest job I've had was probably um, two years, I think. Yeah, two years. And that was my last job um, three years ago. Um, 
and they ended up sort of offering me uh, an agreement to leave um, due to absences because of my mental health. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, and yeah. it's already so interesting to hear our different experiences because you talking about um, being off sick for your mental health. I'm like the other end of the scale that I like cling on. Only once in my lifetime have I been signed off sick for my mental health. And this was 14 years ago now. And it wasn't for anywhere near long enough. I came back way too soon. And I just, yeah, I think there can be the extremes or the, you know, the end of the spectrum with these things. Like I look back in hindsight and I think sometimes, oh gosh, a few days off might have just done me the world of good. But I'm the kind of person in a way that doesn't always help myself. And with the masking and being concerned that I'm either going to lose my job or get treated differently or, or that kind of thing is I would never take that sickness. So it's really interesting to hear the different experiences. But before we talk about that bit more, Lauren, um, what's your experiences? Um, I've had a bit of a mixed bag, really. Um, I've always sort of, well, it undiagnosed like social anxiety since I was probably seven or eight. Um, I've, I'm technically, I'm qualified as a scientist, um, went to uni, did biomedical science degree, master's in microbiology, that kind of thing. Um, so a lot of my career has been working in laboratories and that kind of thing. I had not... How can I put this nicely? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, not not the best experience. Um, at a lot of them, I never have never had up until my current job. Never had a permanent contract. Um, I only ever passed probation twice. Um, whether that I don't know whether that was down to me or down to my then managers. I don't know, but. Um, my current role that I'm in, it's very different to what anything I've worked in before. It's I kind of left science because I was quite, to be honest, disillusioned with everything, the way I, where I was treated with it while working within that sector um, by my then managers. I've always had sort of anxiety issues, and I work in like charity sector now, which is a lot better. Um, but I don't know if that's down to the employer, down to my, my, my manager. I can't speak today. <laughs> down to my managers treat me better but yeah um but some places are just a lot more accepting but some really are not i think as well lauren when you've said down to your manager knowing you as i do through this project you've been involved with your kenny stigma for about three years now i think a lot of it is as well is your own self-work and and you've changed a lot in just in the three years that i've i've known you so i think you know you're giving your current managers credit but i also think you need to give yourself some credit um you know you, you've changed a lot in the years that i've i've known you in terms of your openness and honesty about your mental health and how you approach it and, and manage it so i think as well um, you need to give yourself some some credit for that. Ooh, compliments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Emma, we, people don't do compliments. Emma, here. the therapist. <laughs> <laughs> well, be careful what you wish for, everybody. <laughs> Disclaimer, no qualifications here. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I just, again, really interesting to hear our different experiences. And I feel a bit, every, every time or quite often when we have, have a podcast, one of us always feels a bit like the odd one out. And I feel like... I'm the odd one out in terms of I've always had really, really high performance records. And for me, I found it really difficult to bring up my mental ill health in the workplace because I've always felt like 
through my own masking it or whatever, I've always felt like it hasn't had an impact on my work output. And I've always had this, you know, rightly or wrongly, this conception that well, employers only care about the bottom line and the output. And as long as the work's getting done, who cares, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter how I feel and what I think, as long as I'm doing the job. And so I've always been a real high performer at work. And for me, when we're talking about not having jobs for very long, I get to the point where I struggle so much to mask my mental ill health and to keep up that positive um, appearance. And I feel so fearful of the consequences of, of telling people um, about my poor mental health that I end up either self-sabotaging or I will quit before I get fired. And the reality is maybe I wasn't even going to get fired. I just don't know. But in my mind, so I think for me, I've had that. And also I think as well, even where I've held jobs for four years, I've gone on secondments, I've gone to a different department. So actually my current job, which I've been doing for nearly three and a half years now, is the job that I've actually done <laughs> with consistency for this same period of time, um, for, for a longer period of time, or getting on to the four years. I feel confident I'm going to make it past the four-year barrier, which is <laughs> so nice. But for me, a lot of it has been a shift in my attitude and also for the nature of this job and, and what we're doing with this podcast – my manager knows about my poor mental health. Um, I certainly wasn't honest and upfront at the start about it. Um, so in terms of, you know, masking and trust, I did keep uh, most of it hidden. But I've actually found that being open and honest for me has just been so helpful and has made such a massive difference. But there's, there's been a few nods around the room. Um, so I'm just interested to hear your experiences in terms of masking and trust and particularly you know Emma you said about your performance reviews maybe being like the opposite end to mine I'm just really interested in to hear your different experiences yeah I think like when I'm doing my job I want I'm a perfectionist I want to be the best at it but then because I'm so in my head and so anxious and hyper vigilant um and panicking really that it does affect my performance and then I struggle to prioritise my workload and organise, which isn't great when you work in admin. <laughs> like, I can't work in retail because of the social anxiety, but then, yeah, um, I sort of, when I, there is a lot of pressure and stress to focus on the job, that's when I work best because I'm sort of um, just going and going and going. It's when things are, it's the day-to-day -day things when it's a bit quieter and it's just the routine that um, I think that's when I'm more in my head and trying to um, balance my symptoms and do my workload. And I think it's interesting to hear you use the words perfectionist and there is research out there that shows that people with poor mental health, mental ill health, are some of the most hardworking and conscientious employees. But yet sometimes, you know, those myths and stigmas that we're seen as being lazy, off ill all the time, and, and all of these things like that, which isn't necessarily the case and certainly hasn't been the case for me. It's been the exact opposite. Um, so I think, yeah, perfectionism. And Lauren, I could see you nodding along to the perfectionism bit. Um, do you want to add anything? <laughs> um, perfectionism, oh, yeah, that's... Um what's the word I've, yeah I'm sort of a recovering perfectionist if you like <laughs> <laughs> or I am or should I put this better I'm trying to be because it takes up a lot of time check, like having to check everything over and over and over again make sure you've got it right but 
it's kind of made me better at my job. But when I was working in like labs and things, it was slowing me down quite a lot. But this is kind of a bit off the perfectionism thing. But when my employers have known about like our mental health, mental health issues, um, especially the anxieties, it's kind of been used against me in like performance um, markers. Um, it's kind of been brought up as like, well, you know, it's it, it's kind of just said to me like, oh, it's, this is affecting your anxiety, or your anxiety is making you making you perform worse. And it's just like, well, no, it's not. You don't actually know. You have no idea. And then it's been kind of used as a reason. And then I've been getting anxious about that. Yeah. It just makes everything so much worse. Yeah, I, I can relate to that, Lauren. I mean, for, for me, you know, I've had I had the very varying degrees of, <laughs> of success with employers and them knowing about my mental health. But for me, um, about 14 years ago, I was so unwell with my mental health that I, I was signed off for a few weeks. And my employer's attitude completely changed. They had no clue, absolutely no clue. So it, it came as a like a bolt out of the blue to them. But they didn't know how to cope, how to deal with it. When I returned to work, nobody talked to me. Nobody mentioned my mental ill health. It was all very bizarre. And sort of we had a culture of when somebody was off sick or was getting married or having a baby, flowers, cards, everything. I was off my mental health. I just didn't hear anything. Um, you know, a couple of my really close colleagues sent me the odd text or whatever. But I didn't get a get well card. I, I didn't get anything. And when I returned to work, people just didn't speak to me. It was really odd. Um, so I think it's and that put me off. For a long time, that put me off for like a decade mm. and saying anything to employers. Um, so it can have a a massive impact. And again, after that, so I again had these perfect employment records, which actually came into their own. You know, when you think you're running all appraisals or who cares, it's a bit of paperwork. They tried to make me redundant illegally when I came back to work. So I got out all of said paperwork and was like, well, you've never ever mentioned this in the past. What the heck? And they very rapidly, HR changed their mind. Um, but it just goes to show to me that was outright, you know, discrimination. Yeah me and my mental ill health and that put put me off um, but Emma do you want to add something so when you do go off sick um or speak to your employer about your mental health I have this thing of I don't want it to seem like I am um hang on I've written some down earlier I don't want it to seem like I'm wanting preferential treatment and I'm yeah. using things to try and twist it to get what I want like when I've asked um before to move desks from the centre of an open plan office to just go sit in a corner. I don't want that to seem like it's just because I want to sit where I want to sit. It's because it makes my life hell, like being in the middle of everyone, having social anxiety and just feeling so hypervigilant, on edge all day long, not being able... It's, I want to be able to do my job to the best of my ability, so that's why I ask for them to do these things. Um yeah, and it's the same, I think, when you go back to work and they say, oh, we'll do a phased return, which I've had before, and I was sort of like, oh, no, I've, why do I deserve a phased return? There's people that are, can just work normally and do full-time weeks, and they get on with it. Like, why should I be allowed to work one hour a day, then two, and then gradually go back to full-time? Yeah, so that's difficult for me, sort of accepting the help, because I don't want it to seem like um trying to get preferential treatment yeah and I think there's a lot of 
um, stigmas on that. And I could see you nodding a lot to that, Lauren. But one thing I just wanted to come back to, Hazel, we've not heard from you for a while. There's been like 12 topics since yeah. I spoke. So, <laughs> so I'm very aware of that. But I'm just thinking, you know, you mentioned when you were talking about your experiences of being in the workplace whilst experiencing psychotic episodes. I can only imagine the word masking. Like, I don't know how that, were you able to, and I don't know how, you know, were you able to hide that to a certain degree for the first how many months you, you stayed in particular jobs or yeah because I think as I, well I can only imagine how difficult that might be uh well te- generally speaking when I enter a job I'm not in psychosis because I'm not completely you know the the, the professionals wouldn't let me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what happens is that a lot of my psychosis is stress triggered ah. and jobs are stressful yeah so the longer I'm there the more it starts to creep in but also, because of the way mine presents, the voices tell me I'm not allowed to tell anyone. Uh, okay. So I've got really good at acting fine yeah. when I'm really, really not. And, I mean, people are talking about being perfectionist, and so I'm not a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And I've not had bad reviews at any job I've ever had. I get really good reviews for as long as I'm there. Yeah. Um, I've had jobs where I've left and they've had to replace me with two or three people to do the same workload I was doing because I've got a reputation for being really fast and accurate. But you mentioned stress, Hayrell. <laughs> yes, but see there, there, there be the problem. <laughs> also, the problem may have been first I was trained to be a doctor, then I was a teacher. These are not low stress jobs. Yeah, yeah. And also when you're teaching, the, oh my God, can you imagine if a teacher came over and said, oh, by the way, I've got psychosis. Yeah. That's... Yeah. So when I was teaching, I was properly hiding every... I mean, I was very ill when I was teaching. Yeah. I remember days when I would check myself out of A&E and go straight to work. Wow. Um, after spending all night in A&E because of whatever that I'd done. So, yeah, I mean, I got fired from teaching eventually for being... Um, What's the word? Unreliable. <laughs> I was brilliant towards the beginning. All of my students passed their exams. I got students through their math, their maths GCSE who couldn't even count when wow. I first encountered them. Yeah. But when you get to the point where you start turning up late, not turning up at all, turning up after not sleeping for three days so you can't even think of words, it yeah. just gets to the point where something has to get... If I'd been honest with, with the employer... I nearly said who I was up for then. Um, <laughs> if I'd been honest with them, maybe we could have figured something out. But I was so scared of saying the word psychosis yeah. that it never, I don't know. It may, I don't know what would have happened. But in my mind, they'd have gone, oh my God, leave now. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's hard to know because, you know, we wouldn't exist as a project if there was no stigma. There's still a heck of a lot of stigma around. And I think although, you know, workplaces have got a lot more... I know this is contentious, but you know, well-being <laughs> packages and things in place, and we've we've had conversations before about how effective they may or may not be. But employers are at least talking about this stuff. When I had my negative experience, it was before the 2010 Equalities Act came in. Obviously, there was different legislation and things before then, but it wasn't as good, let's say, in inverted commas, as, as it maybe is today. And even then, you know, we're not perfect. I think I'd like to think things had moved on, but I still think Hazel that when it comes to psychosis I know you through this project and you were the first person who's ever spoken to me about psychosis and your experience and I have learned so much and for me I feel you know in the past I maybe would have been that person if somebody had mentioned oh my neighbor's psychotic I'd be, oh, you don't want to go around there for a cup of tea I think completely the opposite now because I know you and I think 
you know, that's why sharing our experiences through this project, I think, is so helpful and useful because I think that there'll be a lot of employers out there that would be worried about employing you. And I think from different angles, I think the kind of stigmatizing traditional view is, oh my goodness, this person's going to be a liability and we're going to get sued. But also, I do think employers will be concerned about your welfare and they will be totally in the dark as to what to do and how to help. But I don't know what you think, Hazel. And I know you said, I think it's it been about three years since your last job. You know, are you looking for employment? I don't know how, how you feel about it all. Well, I left my last job towards the end of 2019, which was a really bad time to lose a job, to, to leave your, your job. But um, because the psychosis, because the voices were essentially telling me to injure myself on the machinery in the, in the, in the workshop, and I got a bit scared, so I left. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Which... I never told them that's why I left, but that's why I left. Yeah. And since then, I've I got I've had one job that lasted I think two months. But other than that, I've just been doing voluntary work essentially and getting paid for the odd blog that I write. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have recently gone back into looking for work, and I have recently had a couple of because I've since then qualified as a gym instructor. And there's a gym in York that I've been to a couple of times, and the manager there seems really okay I've been upfront about it and she's okay with the idea of a phase start she's having little meetings with me she's got she's offered for me to go in and shadow someone so maybe it's getting better or maybe I've just managed to find the one manager that <laughs> isn't scared of the word I don't know <laughs> but that's amazing and that is so positive I can't remember off the top of my head and I know Hazel you're the kind of person that probably will know this but I think the statistics for people who are experiencing psychosis and being in employment, I think it's woefully low numbers of people. 8% paired employment, 15% completely if you include voluntary work. Wow. So the odds are sort of stacked against you from that sense. So I think it's amazing that this, you know, a gym manager is so open and that you're, you feel comfortable being able to disclose as well. Um, so, yeah, that's a really interesting point. Emma, I could see you nodding along to some of that. Did you want to add anything? Um, I was thinking, is it because of the line of work, like with um, exercise helps mental health, doesn't it? And it's a good area to be in, I guess. I don't know. Um, it's finding that, like I, because um, I, I'm in recovery, um, so I've been in meetings where we've spoken about employment and do I tell my employee that I'm in recovery or not? And I've sort of said, I'm not working. I've just been offered a job, but at the time I wasn't working. And I've sort of said, well, I wouldn't want to work for an employer that I couldn't tell about my mental health and what I've been through and everything. I'd want someone that aligns with my morals and values and is empathetic like I am. Um, but then I think on paper that sounds fine but then when it comes to real life and like yeah, and you get a job it's like oh gosh I can't tell them um and we will we will be doing a whole um podcast episode specifically on um disclosure of mental Ill health in the workplace so for anybody who's interested in that particular subject um please check out that episode because boy, have we all got lots of uh, <laughs> thoughts and opinions on do we disclose at the start? If we do, why do we? If we don't, why not? And what's happened to us when we have disclosed? Um, so I'm really glad that you brought that up, Emma. And that is something that we haven't got time for in, in this episode to go into detail, but, but we will be doing a specific episode on that because I think it's so important. But I think one thing that comes into it is, you know, we, we talk about masking and trust, but I think 
psychological safety is a, a real big thing. And I think we've, we've, a couple of us have mentioned about that fear of, whether it's right or wrong fear, of getting sacked, losing our job, not passing a probation period by speaking up. And I think for me, I now work at a place where I do feel psychologically safe and I am open and honest. And I have to say, it's the best thing I've ever done. It makes my working life so much easier. And then as a totally unexpected consequence, it's also made my personal life easier because it all goes hand in hand, doesn't it? The happier we are at work, the happier we are. You know, it's kind of all aspects of our life. Um, but Lauren, I could see you nodding quite a lot when I mentioned the word trust and, and, and particularly, I guess, with trusting managers. Yeah. Is that something you'd like to comment on? Um, yeah, I mean, this might have a lot of overlap with some of the other episodes, but um, yeah, I had quite a bad experience Um be about five, four or five years ago now. Um, with when I was managed, at, when I was working at a sci- scientific company, uh, I won't say I'm obviously won't say the name because legal things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and it basically resulted in um, complex PTSD because of how badly I was managed through. Um, well, I disclosed that I had anxiety basically, and um, she used it against me. Um, and going into my current job, I was, um, how can I put this? Not fantastic. I was, I was really scared that I'd just be like found out and it's like, actually, I'm not that good. Um, when obviously the reality is I'm actually, I'm actually quite good at my job. Um, yeah, it's just difficult. Did you, Lauren, just ask, did you find it? easy to trust your manager at your current workplace or did it so for me like my historical experiences like I said earlier really negatively tainted my approach with future employers how was that for you because you know you said you've experienced complex PTSD and PTSD for anyone who doesn't know is post-traumatic stress disorder so for you Lauren to experience that in a workplace setting to then move to a different employer were you able to have that kind of, because I, I can't, but this kind of, oh, new person, new employer, let's clean slate, <laughs> whereas I could take the history with me. I mean, how was it for you? I mean, I had employers in between times, but it didn't, I think I was masking that heavily that it didn't really sort of hit me until, like, this employer would just started out last year. I thought it was 2021 then for some reason. <laughs> I keep doing that as well. <laughs> oh dear. Time machine. <laughs> yeah, um, I started like the last last year, 2021. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I was so angry at my manager because my perception at that time was just like all managers are like the manager that was that basically caused me all the trauma to do with the complex PTSD I was I was like I, it took me must have been about a month couple of months to like start trusting her because I was I was scared of everything just going wrong again and I think Lauren just to come in on that for any managers listening I think we can all you know be guilty of in the in the workplace taking things personally can't we and not having the full picture and the historical reasons behind things and it may be, and I just don't know, you know, anybody who's managing someone who comes to a workplace and who's, has had these historical negative experiences, you might find, you, you know, your new staff member being um, what might appear to be defensive or aggressive or mistrustful. Is, just, 
it's we need these open conversations, don't we, so that people have an understanding of why and what's causing it. And I think this is where it comes in with the psychological mm. safety, because there's always reasons behind everything. But as human beings, you know, it's so easy to make assumptions, isn't it? And and think that things have happened um, for various reasons. And then you get people's egos into the mix and <laughs> people, you know. Yeah. Um, so I just think that's a really important point. But just thinking from yeah. the manager's perspective as well. Um, but one thing, Lauren, just to come back on, this is a slight segue. So you, I think you almost <laughs> mentioned the word exhausting, but I was just interested from all of us. Sort of how does it feel to be in a workplace and that constantly masking, like the knock-on effects for me was exhaustion in no personal life because mm. I'm trying to keep up appearances at work. Um, Emma, I can see you nodding to that. Do you want to, you know, what has been the effect for you of masking at work? Yeah, I find it totally exhausting, like, and staring at a computer all day and I'd be, like, struggling to keep my eyes open and I'd, it's it was just awful, like, before because I'm on medication now but I remember before I was on medication when I was working someone had like come through the door at the same time as me and I'd jump out my skin and I'd just be like shaking um terrified to walk because my last job was an open plan office um and I'd be terrified to walk across the office like keeping my head down like oh god because I just felt so awkward didn't know what to say to people couldn't do small talk um and then when I was on medication, it got better. The hypervigilance wasn't as bad. Um, but, yeah, it is really exhausting. As I said before, the mistakes that you made because you're focusing so hard on not letting your symptoms out. Um, and then bosses, had like I had some managers in the past that were quite unprofessional and that would be really <laughs> rude to me. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's... It's hard. It's tough, along with all the office polit- the normal office politics and everything that goes on, like you say, the egos and everything. You've then got these symptoms that you're trying to manage and assess what's me and my mental health and what's actually tr- like true in this situation. Yeah, and I do think there's quite a few interesting things you said there in terms of the social anxiety. But there's a lot of overlap with, with all the things we concentra- um, talk about, and we have got a podcast that concentrates um, purely on the subject of social anxiety. So if anybody's interested in finding out about how that affects some of our champions and the impacts of that, um, please have a look at that one. In terms of what you said about concentrating on minimizing your symptoms and then to, to, to no work getting done and again that's something I, I can identify with you're just trying so hard to appear normal in inverted commas particularly in an open plan office environment which I suppose these days I think you know we will be doing a whole podcast on reasonable adjustments but you know people being allowed to maybe work from home or flexible working or hybrid working um, that kind of thing and choosing like you said about where to sit in the office and again though it's that kind of Oh, because they can choose. Why can't I? And it's, it, you know, th- th- there's good reason why some people mm. need to be where they want to be. And it's, I think, I still think for me, it's having those open conversations so that managers can understand and colleagues as well. Um, I just think it makes, for me, certainly when I'm open and honest about my mental ill health, it makes my life so much easier. Um, and I think as well, one thing I, I, I say um, to my colleagues is, just because I'm not very well mentally, it's not an excuse for being what I call a crap colleague, you know, because mm. we've all got personality. We're not going to get on well with, you know, everybody all of the time. 
we're professional at work. The work clearly has to be done. We are at work to work. You know, we, we you know we're not there to be chatting all day and having our jollies. You know, we are there to do the work. And um, Hazel's laughing, so we'll have to come to you in a minute, Hazel. Um, <laughs> you know, and I understand that. And as someone, you know, I've managed people um, in various roles that I've done. You know, stuff needs to get done. But what I found really helpful when I'm having conversations with my manager is. I want to be as well as possible. My manager wants me to be as well as possible. I want to do my job as well as possible. They want me to do a good job and to stay in work and not be off sick. And I think for me, it's having that collective goal that we're all striving towards. And I can see you add it. And I can't get my words out now. I can see you (laughs) nodding to that, Laurie. It's catching. It's, It's having that clear vision. You know, we're not being lazy. We're not this, that. In fact, actually, we often care a lot more um than our colleagues that don't experience mental ill health you know th- there is that um research that shows that our i can't think what the word is now <laughs> it is catching um what's the word conscientious you know we're very conscientious and research shows that people who experience mental ill health are incredibly conscientious in the workplace so i think it's bearing that in mind for anybody who's managing someone with poor mental health it's it's having that goal of god i hate being mentally ill I don't want to be mentally ill. Um, you know, I'd love to, to have perfect mental health, but I have to be realistic and I have to work with what I've got and I have to manage it. But it's so much help, more helpful when my colleagues and my managers can help me with that. Hazel, you laughed quite a bit, so I really want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> it was just, it was when you said you're at work to work. I cannot count how many times I've been fired from a job from, in inverted commas, not integrating with the staff. And I have literally used the line to a manager when they're trying to fire me, but I thought I was here to work, not to make friends, which apparently does not go down well. (laughs) This includes my first ever real non-farm related job when I worked in a shop in a little village near where I grew up. And I lasted, I think it was two weeks, and then they fired me because I didn't integrate with the staff. Because essentially all the staff wanted to talk about Big Brother, which I didn't watch. I don't watch much TV. I don't know if it's an autism thing or what, but I just don't do popular culture. And I don't need you small talk. So I can't even count the number of times I've been fired for not integrating with the staff. So then there's been jobs where I've tried to go the other way because I thought, well, obviously I'm meant to socialise more. <laughs> but, then, but then you get fired for not doing your job. So where is the balance? Can someone just explain it to me? Um. <laughs> this is my life. Like, so it's like, so, okay, so I'm not going to do this, so I do this, but then I do that, but then I'm not going to do and, 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 you are typical people are confusing. Yes, <laughs> yes. I was just about to say, you mentioning autism, Hazel, which, you know, we know isn't a mental health condition. Is Like you say, it's a it's neurodiversity. Is that the right word? Neurodivergent. Yeah. Neurodivergent, that's the one. I knew it wasn't the right word. <laughs> but I think that's a really important part. And I think as well, workplaces are becoming more aware. But again, I think it's a slowly, slowly thing. But I think for me open conversations and I think even people listening to this podcast and hearing what you've just said there will be so many people who can relate to that and just think oh yes it's yeah and I think as well something that I think about quite often is you know there is a balance as well between you know is somebody in the right line of work for them so Emma you've mentioned you know retail you identified wasn't for you so you you moved into admin into different things you know it I do know where businesses are coming from. And as someone who's managed people and manages people, businesses exist as a business. Things need to get done. The work needs to get done. Is It's a real fine line, isn't it, between is somebody 
unsuitable for that particular job role? Or is it because they're struggling with their mental health, struggling with their mental health maybe more than they usually would, and actually some reasonable adjustments, a bit of time off, and actually they're perfectly suited for the job, they just need a bit of time out or some other kind of adjustment. It's a real tricky fine line. I think sometimes it's very easy, um, especially as somebody who's mentally unwell myself, is to self-blame and think, I'm no good, I'm not good enough for my job. Yeah. And I think it's very easy for managers to blame us, um, you know, as well, and be, oh, because I'm mentally ill. You know, and it's like, actually, is it... Um, and I think it's really tricky. But for me, I just keep coming back to open conversations is what helps. But I think there needs to be a lot more understanding behind it. I'm always really wary. I'm the kind of person, and for those of you who've listened to previous podcasts of ours, I don't have a great relationship with the NHS. Um, <laughs> and I've not got this real long list of official diagnoses, but boy, would I tick a lot of boxes. So I never say, oh, I've got XYZ diagnosis. I will sometimes mention things if I think it'd be helpful for the other person, particularly a colleague or a manager, to have an understanding of what I'm going through. But what I find is workplaces will assume something based on a label or a diagnosis. Mm. And they'll be like, oh, I've, I've, oh, I've worked with someone before who's depressed. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, gosh, I know what they're like. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. We're all individuals. So I think in terms of our audience and people listening, I think what would be really helpful is if you've got some key messages, so I get thinking everybody, <laughs> um, as to you know what is it that you want people to know, either people listening who are experiencing poor mental health themselves and are either in employment or looking to get back into employment or you know getting their first job, leaving education, whatever. And also if you've got a key message or a couple of messages for managers, I think that'd be quite a nice way just to finish off or things like Lauren you seem to be with a real successful um, getting on really successfully with your employer at the moment yeah. is there any key things yeah. that have helped with shall that? I buy some time for, for the rest of yeah, you yes, you go yes, yes you do that you go first Lauren I suppose going back to the psychological safety the psychological <laughs> psychological safety thing um, I think kind of what's really helped me get to that point and get that far is yeah as, as Emma's been saying about open and honest communication with my manager. It's, it has to come from both sides. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's if I haven't hadn't communicated with her, like what's going on for me, she can't help me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind of she's she knows, she's picked things up that I haven't noticed what's going on. She can tell, she can usually tell if I'm having a bad day before I even say anything. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah, and that must be helpful. Right. Yeah, that, that that's really it's really useful. I mean, it's not like someone's going to come up to me in the office and go, oh, you're in a bit of a state, aren't you? In Like in the middle of an open plan office, I'll get like sort of pulled to one side about it. And kind of, it's been like a sort of learning experience for yeah. both me and like colleagues and manager. But people like, you kind of, things are not going to all happen at once. I'm not front I guess it's to be feel psychologically safe it's like how long have I been in this job now nearly 11 months it took six months to get that kind of to that point yeah and I think Lauren something you've just said made me think with because at the minute I'm with a great employer and I'm very open and honest with my line manager I totally agree with you about the two-way communication and yeah listening on both sides and suggestions of ideas on both sides 
like I've I've said to my manager, you know, X, Y, Z will help me. And again, we'll be doing a whole podcast series on what helps keep us well at work. But equally, my manager suggested to me a couple of things. Said, what about this? What about that? And actually, I've gone, oh, yeah, that would be great. Because I don't necessarily, don't necessarily know what the organisation can offer me um, in terms of, you know, help with my mental health. Um, so I think that's really important, Lauren, the, the two-way conversation and being open and honest. And also with that psychological safety where your colleagues can actually identify and then the, for me it's early intervention and yeah. prevention isn't it yeah and the psychological safety also helps you to like mask a lot less yes both for me like on the I'm also autistic and like have features of ADHD which is uh it's working very interesting <laughs> <laughs> but you are Lauren this is the yeah. thing you are in employment it sounds like yeah. you're doing a great job you're in a great place with your employer yeah. which just goes to show it can work well yeah um, any other messages you want to give, Lauren? I mean, I can kind of like basically give people a chance and, and that kind of goes for, for both for people with mental ill health and sort of give your manager a chance. Yeah. I mean, not all managers are good and not all managers are bad. Some managers just like kind of need to learn a bit. Yeah, and not everybody, you know, statistically, yes, one in four of us experience poor mental health, but that's still three quarters of the population who don't. So we can't expect people to understand our experience if, if we can't articulate it. And it's not always easy to do that. But one thing you've said, Lauren, that's just reminded me of a phrase um, is don't judge me on my worst day. You know, my mental health goes up and down. I think that's so important as well. So for managers listening, you know, please just don't judge people on their worst day. We're all human. We all fluctuate, you know, in our performance at work, in our mood, you know, just as human beings, never mind as a human being with poor mental health. Um, so that's really helpful. Thank Ooh, can you. Can I just add one? Yeah, sure. There. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'll uh, um, kind of ask, like, ask me what I need. Don't just assume. Yeah. Because that happen that's happened a lot and it doesn't help at all. Yeah, that's a really good point. Thank you, Lauren. Emma, how about you? Any messages to employers managers or other people who are listening who and of course one thing we haven't said is you can be somebody who's experiencing poor mental health and be a manager there's another one of those stigmas and myths is you can't get to be at the top of the company and be a ceo and be mentally ill well yes we can um so that's something i can't believe i didn't say that earlier but just just to <laughs> clarify and get that on record um but emma any messages to the audience um well i've just been offered a job so um I've got a lot, like, I need to take my own advice that I'd give to others because I'd be like, stop catastrophizing, you've not started yet, but already I'm like, this is going to happen and that's going to happen oh. and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, and just listening to people saying about communication, um, but then that's that's a different topic, sort of disclosing when you early on. Um, so I think I've just got to find some peace at the moment and try and do things that are um, good for me to keep myself... Well, being in the moment, I think that's the thing because I know when I've got... Um, put, when my mental health is worse, I'm terrible at being in the, at the moment, in the moment, like at the, at the moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm struggling a little <laughs> bit and it's like constant thoughts going around my head and that's not being in the moment. Um, yeah. So I just need to practice some mindfulness rather than running away with my so my thoughts and thinking about things that are probably never going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And I'd like you say, oh gosh, that's such a good point about taking our own advice. It's so easy to kind of have that 
view and be like, we know what we should be doing. And of course, congratulations as well on Thank the job you. offer. So hope that goes well and hope you are able to set your own advice, Emma, and you know, have faith in your own competence and abilities. And, and that's great news. And again, for anybody listening who is experiencing poor mental health and you may be looking for work, I mean, that's just so positive to hear. You know, it is possible to get employment, to maintain employment, find the right employer. So that's um, really positive to hear. Yeah. Hazel, how about you? Messages for... Um, I think our message to sort of managers or people who haven't experienced mental health is probably an echo of everyone else, which is essentially just... Don't make assumptions. Don't make assumptions based on... I mean, I never tell people my diagnosis anyway because no one knows what it bloody is. Um, <laughs> I just say I've got psychosis because otherwise I've got to give a lecture of what my actual thought it is. Um, don't make assumptions based on diagnosis. Don't best make assumptions based on what you've seen on the TV or the media or the person, you know, your your cousin's wife's brother's dog's <laughs> yeah. own what walker's condition <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And don't make assumptions of what the person needs. Yeah. And my message to people who are working or trying to work with mental with mental ill health is it is, I'm I'm 35 now and it's taken me a long time to realise this, but there is nothing wrong with needing support. There is yeah. nothing wrong with not working full time. There is nothing wrong with not being able to work and, at all. There's nothing wrong with doing voluntary work instead. It's all you know, you, you. the thing is, our illness is going to limit us, and that's okay. It's not a, a failing on someone. It's not a moral issue. Do what you can do. Something might, you, you know, later on you might be able to become more stable and be able to do more, but if you push yourself too hard, it's just going to make you worse, possibly. And I'm really falling into the burnout topic now, so which is another episode, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> really, really good points, Hazel. And I think, and like you say, and it sounds like you've got a lot of experience of the working too hard <laughs> when you've had three people replace, replace your job. But I think that's a really good point about you didn't use the word acceptance, but that's the word oh, I was looking for. Well, <laughs> I'm and I would still describe myself as a really reluctant acceptance because I don't enjoy it sort of this thing where people say totally mistakenly that, oh, everybody it's so trendy to be mentally ill. I can't stand being mentally ill. <laughs> There's still I still have a little bit of self stigma for all I do, you know, w- with our projects and what we're doing. I don't like the fact that I can be very, very mentally unwell. I don't like telling my colleagues and employers, I'm not proud of it, but it's something I live with and it's something that I speak about because, just like you said, Hazel, asking for help is so important and it has taken me so long. And in hindsight and looking back, boy, would other jobs and things have been so much better, so much easier. So I think, yeah, the point on asking for help and acceptance it's probably a really good point to to end on. There's so much we can talk about in terms of employment. <laughs> We've got plenty of other episodes coming up on the subject of uh, mental health stigma in the workplace. Um, so yeah, we highly recommend that people check out the full series of our podcast. Um, but for today's episode, I will um, say my thanks. Um, so thank you very much to you, Hazel. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, Lauren. And of course, thank you to our listeners. And we hope you find it helpful. Thank you.